episode of Sluts and Scholars is brought to you by Balesa.co. Balesa is an empowering adult entertainment website for women. Launched just a year ago, Balesa has quickly grown to become a premier destination in porn with millions of women around the world joining the community. So go to Balesa.co to see some steamy videos that prioritize female pleasure, read some of the best erotic fiction on the web, and read some articles that talk about sex, relationships, and female health. Thanks to Balesa.co. Want to hear more? Follow us on Instagram at Sluts and Scholars, on Twitter at Sluts Scholars, or check out slutsandscholars.com. Welcome back to another week of Sluts and Scholars. I'm Nicoletta, and we are without my co-host Simone today, but luckily we are joined by the maybe person and a half, Dr. Evan Goldstein. He is the founder and CEO of Bespoke Surgical, which is the leading private practice specializing in an elite standard of sexual health and wellness for the modern gay male. Dr. Goldstein received his osteopathic doctorate from the University of Medicine and Dentistry School in 2002. As the preeminent expert and thought leader in the field, Dr. Goldstein is committed to education and awareness, not only bringing the important issues surrounding gay sexual health to the forefront, but also eliminating the stigmas attached to it. Dr. Goldstein has been published in a variety of both LGBT-focused and mainstream publications, including Refinery29, New York Magazine, The Advocate, Vice, and now Sluts and Scholars. So with that mouthful, welcome, Dr. Evan. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. (laughs) So, okay, tell me, what does it mean to have LGBT-affirming healthcare? Because I feel like a lot of people say that, and I'm not sure they're clear on, like, what that means. Sure. Um, I I started to realize that there was a huge need uh, for the community to actually seek people um, that completely understood all the aspects of their you know, entire world. Um, and they were not getting it, especially on the surgical side. Mm-hmm. Um, I started to see people coming to me for second opinions that were seeing amazing preeminent physicians and surgeons, but just when they're like, oh, I have a little tag on my ass, um, it really bothers me, it, it really hurts my identity, the surgeon would say, um, why? Why do you care how it looks? Mm. And then I started to realize that, wow, wait, but, but, but people do care how it looks. And, and there's a lot of identity issues that surround a community. And in order for you to, you either, either need to be in the community to understand those issues, or you have to completely ask questions that are, may, you may seem to be inappropriate, but really allow you to understand a community better than what you've had before. And you would imagine that that's asking a lot of the patient to come in. Totally. Right? And that might already be scary. And so if they don't know what to ask or feel ashamed on how to ask it, they're not getting the right care. Totally. And I mean, I think, and it just comes to best practices. It was so interesting. We did a couple of studies to look at are physicians, gay or straight, asking people sexual questions? Um, And the answer is no. Actually, 92% of people aren't really asking the right questions. Um, are, how are you engaging? Uh, do you enjoy the way that you're engaging? Do you want to engage in different practices? The fact that thinking of a physician asking if you enjoy it, I feel like that's something I've never heard yeah. at the doctor's and office. And why is that? It's terrible, right? It has nothing to do with anything other than part of your life. And sexual identity and sexual wellness is is so key to people's um, fulfillment. Well, you're going to have to come lecture for this other group I work with called the Sexual Health Alliance. Mm-hmm. Um, but basically, it educates people who should know about sex but don't. 
So, I mean, we're talking everyone, like therapists, mm-hmm. doctors, OBGYNs, proctologists, T- totally. urologists, whatever that is. Um, did they have classes like that in your school? Or all. did you do this education and learning in your own personal life? Yeah, totally. My own personal world. You know, I, I came out a little bit late in my life. I met my partner, Andy. Um, and during this time, I kind of realized that what am I going to do in the surgical realm of my life? Um, I was training as a uh, heart surgeon, actually. Oh, whoa. And I was quite From miserable. Hearts to assholes. I know, exactly. <laughs> wow, how did that happen? That's the name. That's definitely going to be the name of this podcast. <laughs> so um, I just wasn't happy. And I said, how can I really fulfill? who I am, and, and really understand my own identity. And as I was working through my own identity issues, I started to say, well, wait a second, but okay, uh, where is everybody else going to seek the care that they need? Um, and it was interesting because I think it was also, it's also at a different time. So, you know, the 80s, it was all about HIV. Mm-hmm. And then all of the kind of proctologists that were practicing were really looking at how do you prevent anal cancers. But it wasn't really understanding the, the gay world, which was to say, how do people engage and how do we get people to engage the way that they want to? So, was it more from like a fear perspective of like, you don't want to get these diseases and you don't want to get this? And yeah, that's yeah. It. And I think that that was how people were trained, which was, mm-hmm. you know, if you're, um, if you're promiscuous, you're HIV. HIV positive in the gay world. If you're HIV positive, then these are the certain ramifications that go with that. Um, and then that was it. That was everybody's knowledge on the subject. But that doesn't define being gay at all, right? Um, and as things started to evolve, um, the HIV component became more of a chronic disease. And now people are living longer. Mm-hmm. You know, and I see older clients too, and I say they're the first generation of actually living out gays. And there's so many issues surrounding that mm-hmm. um, that people just need to understand to really get the best quality care that they need. Um, and that's where the sensitivities come in. Yeah, I mean, just to, I would love to hear some of your examples that maybe you've experienced in your life. But um, I knew someone who went to the doctor to get, um, I think, some like genital warts looked at, mm-hmm. and they were someone who enjoyed. Um, both like anal pleasures and you know pleasures with their penis, and the doctor only looked like around their penis area and only asked questions, assuming that they were having sex with women or only having like penile and vaginal penetrative sex, um, and it just like missed the whole opportunity totally. for like anything else. Not that warts are like that big of a deal, no. just a virus, but, but like. But even you would think that it to would not be, even ask, right? To not even ask to say, hey. By the way, this is what I'm comfortable taking care of, but do you have any anal warts or are there other issues associated? And then I can refer you to somebody to take care of that component. That would be key. Nobody's asking you to solve everyone's dilemma, right. but it's just understanding what where you are and how you can help people in the correct way. Have you had any experiences in your time, like whether it was in school or visiting doctors? or All the time in terms of people not having appropriate sensitivities mm-hmm. is that what you're saying yeah 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 I mean I think I have I have I see that to this day you know I mean even a lot of what I do is not not only educating clients but it's educating physicians on what to ask when to ask it how do you ask it do you have some examples of some like really shitty missteps um, I or think, I would say opportunities for growth <laughs> opportunities for growth that sounds very PC yeah I just think that people I, I lecture all the time that people just need to feel comfortable asking questions and asking the wrong ones. 
because um, because if you're not asking them, you're never going to get the right answers. And it's interesting, you know, when you're talking to uh, male to female or female to male, how do you address them? What you know, how do you ask questions for different sub you know sub community uh, members? Um, and and really, it's kind of getting uncomfortable in your own skin first to really ask the clients um, a little bit more about their world. And so I, you know, start off with, you know, are you gay, straight, bi? How do you engage, right? Um, are you into anal? Uh, how do you identify? Are you a bottom? Are you a top? Where, where do you fit in the spectrum of the world? Partnered? Is it open? Is it closed? So there's so many different things to kind of understand a community where now you, as you're doing that, you're kind of understanding people's risks mm -hmm. um, and the risks of injury, the risks of STD, the risk of HIV, all these or different- the or the pressures of pre how they want to look. Exactly, exactly. And then you start to say, are you comfortable? Um, you know, if you don't look at the ass, you're never going to see pathology or issues associated with it. Mm -hmm. So there's so many times where um, people come to me and I, I say, look, I see people with the Worst assholes in the world. <laughs> okay, what does the worst asshole mean? <laughs> what does the worst asshole mean? Yeah. Um, well, it just looks like you know. There's there's either warts all over it. There's extra skin that's there. There's hemorrhoids that are prolapsing out. It's bleeding. Mm -hmm. It does not look appetizing at all. Okay, right. All right. And they don't think that that's a problem. The client. Uh -huh. Whereas I see people with the tiniest thing that you would look at that asshole and you would say it's completely perfect. And so it's more about if they feel comfortable Correct. with their yeah. asshole. Well, correct. <laughs> okay. But if you're mentioning it to them, there's so many times that I mention something and they're like, oh, you know, I never knew that that really does bother me, but I never knew I could actually take care of that. Mm. Um, and that's crazy. How many times you've gone to primary care physicians or others to kind of talk about many other things and why isn't sexual wellness and sexual health at the forefront of everything that they're talking about. I mean, you maybe learned some of this stuff in your own like personal coming out, but how would you recommend other practitioners get some of this education? Like where should they start? Yeah, I think that it's nowadays, thank God, schools are starting to listen. But it's um, like one class, maybe correct. if at and, all. And I you know, I think Harvard just came out with kind of a sex ed one oh one course that was going into all the LGBT affirming type of medicine, which was quite interesting. Um, so I think that nowadays we're seeing a lot of CME and continuing credits that do offer this. Mm -hmm. um, and then, you know, obviously I can lecture. That's always good. Yes, um, so, so hire Dr. Evan. <laughs> um, so, the so yeah, don't give away too many secrets because <laughs> yes. then people will hire you that's, to educate that's them. That's true, that's true. Okay, that's true. got it. <laughs> so um, no, actually we're talking, I'm talking at Mount Sinai on kind oh, of nice. anal, beautific yeah, anal beautific beautification. Um, I want to hear more about on, this. On, you know, how did I kind of come about with understanding that and understanding the art of how things heal? Yeah, so what are some of the services you offer? Because anal beautification is definitely not something that I've like heard before. I feel like I've heard the quintessential like anal bleaching, right. and that's like as far as I right. really know. I think if you think about it on the vaginal rejuvenation side, it's the okay. same kind of component that we're dealing with. So Like tightening? Tightening or loosening. It really depends upon okay. whether or not. So there are people that... Um, are tops and engage, but they can't engage anally, and they want to. And mm. so what are um, this, the issues surrounding that? So people that come to me, they come to me with kind of three different things. Okay. One is the aesthetics. How okay. does it look externally, right? Um, the other is form and function. Okay. So if, one, you can't have anal sex because it's painful, um, what what's going on? Are there tears that are there? Are there hemorrhoids or fissures or kind of, 
other things that are prohibiting people from engaging anally. And how do you tell if it's something that's just psychological? You know, like someone's nervous and they're tensing their muscles yeah. and they I think want it to be loosened, but really it's just they need to work through some shit. Totally, totally. And I think that from an emotional com- component, mm-hmm. we, we talk about that. One, I'll make sure that form and function is okay. I'll make sure that the muscle that I can open and extend that muscle so that I know that it's not restrictive. Do so you that, do this for women too? Asking yeah, for a friend? Totally, totally, <laughs> totally. I see a lot of post-pregnancy women. I see a lot okay. of women that come to me that engage anally. Um, that uh, you know, they just want it to kind of heal the right way or to look the right way. And it's interesting because um, there's you know the connection between the vagina, uh, the vaginal opening, and the anal orifice. Mm-hmm. That sometimes it has people have extra skin in that area, just the uh-huh. way that the seam met, okay. um, and it just bugs people. Um, uh-huh. And so we can kind of fix that and make sure that it kind of all blends in nicely. All right. So I mean, I think the 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 way I approach it is to say how what's prohibiting people from engaging anally. Mm-hmm. Um, and is there something that's obstructing that? And what can I do to fix that? Um, and then also the other, the aesthetic component. Is there extra skin that's there? Is it a little too loose that people aren't getting enough pleasure? Um, so, and, and where do things get caught? Things usually get caught, whether it's a toy, whether it's a cock, whether it's whatever you want to put up there, mm-hmm. um, is either the skin doesn't open up okay. or the muscle doesn't open up. And so those are kind of the restrictive parts. Um, and then also the mental component. So what happens if it's the muscle part? What do you do? Yeah, so, so you know, a lot of muscular issues I can deal with with Botox. So Botox so relaxes relaxed. the muscle. Ah, right. Okay. So what happens is, is that let's say people have a tear and the tear is making people really tense, that they just it's too painful, they're bleeding. Um, so you can clean out that tear, make it you know healthy, and then also give Botox into some muscle area to make things relax so that when they're going to the bathroom, it's not as painful. And then also as they start to engage anally, the muscles are now already to be relaxed. And that's where a lot of the mental component too is. Um, they don't really teach us how to have anal sex. Yeah. Um, so I think that that's a lot of issues surrounding kind of our own education uh, right. that should start from high school yeah, moving forward. Yeah, it's still a very forward. puritanical education that totally. obviously does not feature anal. Totally. And so I think that, you unless know... You're try- unless you're Christian and trying to stay a virgin and you think that <laughs> anal sex is not yeah, sex. Totally. Absolutely. Stick it in my ass and yeah. it's fine. Exactly. <laughs> totally. It's so messed up. I know, but that's what it is, right? right? But I think that, um, you know, it's like next week, I think it is, I have a lecture at Pleasure Chest. Um, yes. And it's kind of like the, let me know what it is. Yeah, so we want to go. It's the the art of bottoming one hundred and one. And so it just kind of goes over how do you walk through the mental component of this, where you can kind of allow for relaxation in the area. There are people out there that if you watch them, they can open their ass perfectly and allow whatever size in there without issues. And that is very, very difficult how to do. How much of that feels like it's a physical thing, like they just had a butt that does that, and how much of it feels like an emotional or a training or a practice? Mostly training and practice. And when you look at like the purest of bottoms, um, they're... They've been bottoming for such a long time. And uh-huh. so in the early stages of when you're 16, 17, 18, the cocks are smaller. So they're kind of dilating themselves, right? So okay. 16, 17, it's smaller penises. And then 20, 21, they're Working starting their to get bigger. To and then they're exactly. Cool. So it just winds up being that they're kind of going through the mental component 
uh, kind of on their own. Um, whereas now, let's say, and I see it a lot, the 50-year-old guy who gets out of a long-term relationship mm-hmm. who now his cock doesn't work so well, and how is he going to stay in the dating game? And he stays in the dating game by bottoming. And the answer is he has never bottomed. How does he bottom? How does he know the right way to engage? Yeah, I mean, is it sort of like a vulva or vagina and that, like, I don't want to say if you don't use it, you lose it, same, but, same like, thing. atrophy. Totally, yeah, but more of that. Because obviously, act- like, you're pooping, so you're, Yes, you know. but if you look at most people's shit patterns, right? <laughs> you're, you have- I do not really look at that, but maybe you do. Okay, so I do. Um <laughs> Most people shit for a very small amount of time, let's say, for the whole entire day. Yeah, so if you think about so if you think about like twenty three hours and fifty eight minutes of the day, your ass is in contraction exercise. mode, right? You need time to dilate that, and you need time to relax. That I feel like I need to use that motto for the way that I exercise, like in general. <laughs> yes, <laughs> so yes. I understand. Going back to something you said about the Botox injections. Sure. Um, what are your thoughts on like the old school method that people have used, like poppers mm-hmm. or things like anal ease? I feel like in in my community, in the sex positive community, a lot of people are anti that. Yes, because they're like, then you don't really know what's going on. You don't know if something's going to tear. Hundred um, percent. For people who don't know, what are poppers? <laughs> yeah. So I mean, I think you know, poppers are uh, an, in, an inhalant yeah. that they're uh, used to clean like vinyl <clears throat> records. Yeah. Or something. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's just you know. It's a euphoric state yeah. that, in in theory, creates relaxation, mm-hmm. right? And that's what it does. And so the point <clears throat> is to, or was to use it, and then your body would relax in order to accommodate. Correct. Somebody, but the problem is, I or think just the, to have fun, right? But I think the euphoric aspects take over, and then just like you were saying, that people don't realize when they're getting injured. Yeah. You know, when there's an injury that occurs because they can't feel it, they're in that state, and, the and they're same, not being aware of like what they really like right. or in their body as much. Right. And look, I, I don't judge people. If people come to me and they want to use poppers and they want to use ease, all I'm all for it. But I kind of educate to say, mm-hmm. hey, look, go into that situation where you know you have taken that person mm-hmm. or that size before, and you've been able to accommodate it without issues. But I think that's LGBT affirming. Healthcare, right there, is that you're saying that you know maybe some of the LGBT community and they might come in and the normal thing is to use anal ease or poppers. And so, not to have that judgment, whereas someone would be like, oh, you're using a drug right. recreationally, like right. this is obviously the problem. Totally, totally. And I think that reality is, is that, I mean, who am I to say what these people want to do? I think it's great, live your life, but I can just kind of walk them through some positives and negatives for that mm-hmm. um, and kind of set them up for success. You know, it's like the same thing with prep and condom use. I get a you know a ton of uh, people saying, you know, if you're on prep and you're not using condoms, you're slut and it just becomes like, you know, what's the right way and the ethical way of this? Um, and there's no right answer to it. I think everybody's answer is different. But the, what I can do is just kind of lay down people's foundation to give them the education and tools to finally make the decision. And then whichever way they go, I'll completely support it and just try and figure out how I can help them through it. For people out there who don't know what PrEP is, can sure. you just say yeah. a little bit about it's, it? It's an anti- There's PEP and, and PrEP. PEP. Right. PrEP is a kind of before the act. Um, it's a daily pill. Uh, probably in a couple of months or so, supposedly it's going to be an injectable form as well that mm-hmm. lasts for a couple of months. But it's an anti-HIV drug. Um, if you're on PrEP uh, daily, um, you know your risk of getting HIV is uh, is minimal. Mm-hmm. Um, and then obviously adding condom usage and stuff like that, it just continues to decrease that risk. Yeah. Um, so it's it's a uh, it's an interesting drug, right? It raises a lot of 
very interesting ethical dilemmas as well. Yeah. Which is, you know, now you're 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 kind of taking HIV off the table. Mm-hmm. And so now people are saying, great, it's a sexual revolution's back all again. Um, and now during that, it's, you know, fuck parties and orgies and good old stuff that I'm not going to get HIV, so I'm all good. What have you seen maybe change in well, the I think, community that you're familiar with? Yeah, I think STD rates have definitely gone up uh-huh. um, in terms of that. Um, and then I also think that, you know, people are questioning um, that drug um, is it going to make a super HIV where you know it's uh, you know an uncontrollable HIV? Because right now, I and mean, if if you don't know this, go back and listen to our HIV episode with Kelly Gluckman. But it's not a big deal. I, mean, I don't want right. <laughs> to say it in a bad way, but like you know, you can take one pill a day and take care of it and live a perfectly fine life and not transmit it to your partner if you take the proper totally. precautions. Totally, and I think it, it's it's again looking at people's risk assessment to figure out. Is it pertinent for them to take it? Yeah. Um, I see it a lot in kind of open relationships where you know you're going out and you know the your sexual desires and sometimes become demons. Yeah. Um, and when you're out there, you know, to take HIV off the table would be so great. Who wants to to bring that into back into a relationship that you've had for X amount of years? So I think that there's a lot of uh, interesting, you know, 20, 20 year old kids that are out there engaging, just having anal for the first couple of times. Um, why wouldn't you want to protect that child that I, that, you know, much younger than me um, to make sure that HIV is, is off these people's radar? And I know that obviously you can't speak for all gay men. Right. <laughs> and um, are there any things that people should really like be aware of if they are a healthcare or mental health practitioner of like things that are going on in the gay male space that you feel like people often overlook or don't really understand? I think the drug use is is an interesting one. You know, okay. the crystal use and the use of surrounding sexuality and sex parties mm-hmm. um, is a big one that people are trying to figure out. Uh, I just blogged a little bit about how um, London has really been uh, instrumental in kind of teaching people overdose techniques um, that so that you know that they understand that this is what's going on in GHP use and sexuality and sex and all this is kind of commingling and now you start getting crazy overdoses and people that don't know how to take care of people in those situations. Mm-hmm. So the question is, how do you make it safe? And everyone understand that even though there's risks, how do you treat those risks when it happens? Um, and that's kind of the LGBT affirming care that we're looking to kind of put across the world. So as opposed to just being like, don't use drugs, Correct. you're Doesn't figuring work out like that. how to. I mean, it's kind of like a parent who says, don't go out and drink. Right. And then the kids are drinking in secret. Totally. And the, and the reality is that's going to happen. And so again, the same thing back to prep. People on prep are not going to use condoms. One, they just love how it feels without it, and now and they feel like they're protected, and they feel like they're protected. Like the, they're the protect- main one. Right, and so instead of kind of bashing that, you say, "Okay, how are we going to support that? Are there ways that we can lower the STD rates for you? Is it if it's a promiscuous kind of encounter, or let's say a gangbang that's happening? You know, should we put you preemptively mm-hmm. on some antibiotics so that you don't have to deal with the sequelae after that? So again, it's it's kind of understanding each individual client, and that's the bespoke. Component of my world, which is everybody Subjective comes in with, yeah, and 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 it's how can I help you uh, reach whatever it is that you want? I mean, I think that speaks to hopefully what a lot of people are doing now is considering the context and the intersectionality. Totally. I wonder how you find a balance between educating and not shaming clients, because I hear you saying like it is important to say, okay, like we do know there are these risks, and here's some other information I can give you. 
while also being like, you know, this is your choice and yeah, um, and, I, and not I think shaming them so they leave feeling more guilt. Yeah, I think exactly just like what you said. You know, I mean, our our offices are kind of super supportive um, and comforting from the second you walk in the door mm-hmm. that you feel as if you know you're in a really secure space. And I usually break the ice. Um, in terms of kind of you know the asshole is a funny thing, and we talk about it like that. Um, okay. And you know, and people walk in, and obviously they feel ashamed, um, and they shouldn't. They shouldn't feel ashamed at all, you know. And so I try and break down those barriers the second that we're communicating, and then I'll go over my list of usual questions so that during that time I can kind of gauge. All right, where is this person in terms of openly talking about their sexuality and wellness? Um, and then I can kind of guide the whole conversation to get all the answers that I want and then just get them on my side. Because once I'm there on my side, I can kind of communicate to them and give them the approach, the education around it. Um, and then we we talk about it. And, and there's there's no right answer, like I say to them. It's There's risks, there's benefits, and then it's us talking together to figure out where and which you want to be. Um, and then I think email helps too, because what winds up happening is People take all the information that I give them, and then they'll kind of hit me up on an email and say, you know, thank you so much. I was thinking about this, this, and this. I I spoke like this in the office, but I'm thinking this is what I want. Um, And then we can kind of talk about how do we achieve that. So if I came in for like a first consultation, how would that start? Yeah, like how would you break the ice? How, I, how do I break the ice? <laughs> like how how can I help your butt today? Yes, like exactly. do you have like a go to? I usually I'm, I'm usually pretty in the beginning, just kind of you know to say um, you know what brings you to my office, and yeah. then then they'll start kind of going. And then some people, if they're like really shy about the ass, I'm like, is it the asshole? And, then, <laughs> and they're like, oh, how did you guess? And I'm like, oh, I don't know, maybe every single person that comes into my office, it's about the asshole. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> so and then we'll kind of go from there. So it's sort of like. Anal play, like you got to warm up a little and like totally. get relaxed totally. and feel Absolutely. comfortable Absolutely. and get some consent. And <laughs> okay, I like it. Um, what are the most like common things that you see then? I see a lot of extra skin in the area, so skin tags. Okay. I see a lot of hemorrhoids. Tears are hugely common. I mean, you know, again, we spoke about before the mm-hmm. skin kind of not opening up appropriately. Yeah, and you know, I always tell people, shit's supposed to come out. Cock and toys are really not supposed to go in. We love it; it's great, and all for, I'm all for it. But the reality is, is that there's so much pressure, uh-huh. physical pressure, associated with the force of anal play, and no matter what we're doing. And so, because of that, the body is usually not, um, you know, used to that force. Mm-hmm. And then what winds up happening is either you tear. Or um, you know a hemorrhoid develops, mm-hmm. or there's certain other issues that develop that now kind of are a sequelae of that trauma, um, and so it's us trying to kind of communicate what's the best ways to engage to prevent all of those, but understanding that if you're a truest of bottoms and you in, and you play anally, these are bound to happen at some point. So you keep saying you know using the word like true bottom. Um, I wonder what that means and if you have any tips for people who, who are bottoms. And I know you're giving this talk at Pleasure Chest, so I don't want to give away your no, 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 entire no. presentation. But I think I'm a huge proponent of preparation. So preparing for play is anal dilation and constant anal dilation. So I say, you know, most people that are into the gym, especially out here in California, everyone loves the gym. Um, <laughs> I wish. <laughs> I do not love the gym. Well, a lot of people like but the gym. But a lot of gay men in West Hollywood yes, love the love gym. Love the gym. And, and the reality is, is that, you know, they understand that component that 
They're one day doing biceps, the next day doing triceps because they want to stretch the biceps. So one day of contraction, one day of relaxation. And the asshole is no different. It's a muscle that needs that constant attention. And you said it before, if you use it, if you don't use it, you lose it. It is that. Uh The only thing the ass knows how to do is stay contracted. So you have to teach it and you have to work with it. And so how do you can you practice that on your own? Yeah, yeah. So most of anal dilator kits are really great. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, ones that um, are kind of conical, and they're in a set of three or four. And are, make sure really... anything you put up your butt has a larger base. Correct, <laughs> correct. Yeah, exactly. You don't want to get it stuck, which I've had to remove before. Yeah, I, I want to hear if yeah. you've had to pull anything uh, funny out. Um, I, I had to pull uh, the, some sort of situation. I don't want to say where, funny, but yeah. you know, there's this like one, that old hamster story. Yeah. And the... No, the one story that I thought was kind of really terrible, though, it wasn't such a funny story. Was a uh. kid was. Um, Basically, date raped, and oh, then uh, came and came to the hospital, and obviously was mortified at the situation, and didn't tell anybody what was going on, but had terrible abdominal pain. So we did an X-ray, and it looked like it was—I thought it was a right guard can, you know, those like um, uh, aerosolized for deodorant, Whoa. those cans stuck up there. So and someone had so put someone it had up. put it up there. <gasps> That's awful. And it was it was awful. And uh, but if he hadn't come to you, they might have never. Found that well, he he was in so much pain he had to come go somewhere. Right. So so he we wound up taking him to the operating room and right when he was asleep, I kind of pushed his belly and the muscles finally relaxed enough because he was sleeping that I could get it out. And it was not; it was a um, uh, you know like lighter fluid can. Oh so my someone God. had like literally, and it's terrible, right? Um, and so we took it out, inspected everything. He was so 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 thankful. But you know, coming into a hospital with that plus a date rape, it was it was quite awful. Oh my awful. God! Yeah, yeah, and of course you want someone to get emotional help yeah, after that totally. too. Oh, it was terrible. So I'm sorry to break the the fun subject. Now back to this. <laughs> you know, <laughs> let's go back talk, to the assholes. Okay. The full spectrum here, and I think it's important to get a little bit of both. So. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, I think that uh, you know, there's the good, the bad, and the ugly on all of this stuff. Um, but back to kind of the the rituals, I think, you know, the truest of bottom is someone that's bottoming all the time. Mm-hmm. So if they're having two and a half, you know, most most in the gay world, let's say the truest of bottoms are probably twice a week. Okay. okay. Um, so if you're doing twice a week, most people can c- just continue having anal sex because the muscles are already dilated and stretched and doing really well. Um, if it's once a month, if it's a couple of times, uh, you know, every three months, then I think... In those times, you want to start kind of playing. And a lot of mm-hmm. people do it when they take a shower. Now, if you're horny and you want to get off, do it. Get off with it. Yeah. But a lot of people just do it as kind of a mechanical, you know, you shower, you wash your head, stick something up your ass and, <laughs> and, and stretch it out. Right? It's no different. Um, just so part of your daily that's part routine. of your daily routine. So I think. For three minutes, you know, just like you're going to go to the gym, you'll do ten to twelve reps where you're slowly inserting the small plug. You pull uh-huh. it back out. You spl- you're going to keep going from there, and then you get up to the sizes that you want. You'll see that even shitting is more pleasurable because finally you're able to control the opening. Yes, and then also. Obviously, it's ready to play, um, and then you're ready to go. And I think even in the beginning, let's say you're a newbie at anal, mm-hmm. um, after you dilate, and it's over about four weeks that you should dilate because it takes time. You can't just go from nothing to something Nothing big. to fisting. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't overnight. work like that. It doesn't work. It's going to tear. Yeah. So you have to really go slow, a lot of lubricant. Right. And most people do like the small plug for a week or so. Mm-hmm. I don't recommend putting plugs all the way in. Some people actually, do you have a plug in now? No. (laughs) 
So I don't. That's a good question though, because it's you. The bathroom I have here has like a couple toys that are laid out, and so I'm like, I wonder if he's gonna see my, my plug in there. It's one of the B vibe ones. We love B vibe. That, that's it. So with those plugs, you should have told me to prepare for this interview. I could have. We could have both. Met. Maybe you're doing it now. Uh, you maybe, didn't. I didn't maybe. ask. <laughs> maybe drop the kids off at daycare. It's exactly. Put in a butt plug. Someone could buzz me and buzz buzz my plug. I told. I fully support. That. <laughs> so, but with the plug, I don't recommend putting them all the way in. How come? Because what happens is is that the the area gets swollen. Okay. And then when you try and get it out, um, you can tear yourself. So I'm not a huge proponent. People love it, and that's great. And if it works well and you're able to get it out, that's all great. But what happens is if it stays for prolonged periods, there's a lot of swelling in the area. Uh-huh. And then because the you know the the end of the plug. It has an area for where the muscle can go, right? It goes like the thin part, the thin of, the part of it, exactly. The base. Okay. Yeah. So then, what happens is that if it's not really graded the right way, mm-hmm. when you're pulling it out, not only is there a suction effect, there's swelling, and it has and, to stretch for the bigger and it has part to above stre- it. Exactly. And then what winds up happening is, is that it, you can tear and cause injury. Okay. So people like it, and that's all good and well, and continue doing it. But I think that from the people that are training to get up to engaging anally, mm-hmm. that they should really just go just before that kind of narrowing. Where like the larger Correct. part is. Exactly. And just kind of play going in and out that way. Uh-huh. Or eight to ten times in and out, and then stretch, and then two weeks for the small plug, okay. uh, two weeks for a medium plug, um, and then another two weeks. So it's between four to six weeks of getting up to a large size. And where can people get these dilation kits? They're all over. So, you know, Pleasure Chest has them, Amazon.com. Not that I'm endorsing Amazon, um, but they do. <laughs> but if you want to get them anonymously. But if you want to get them anonymously, anonymously that's, that's fine. Um, but with that said, um, they're all over. And I think just the dilator kits are quite good to get yourself where you need to be. Um, and then I say, if you're ready to engage, let's say you're ready to sit on someone, mm-hmm. okay? Then it's using those plugs either in play mm-hmm. before leading you do that, it. leading up to it, or do it in the bathroom before the person comes over. Stretch yourself out, and a lot of that is not so much that I don't think you're able to accommodate. Mm-hmm. I think that it it pre lubricates the entire canal. Yeah. So what and winds just up gets happening? You feeling relaxed. Gets, exactly. So that you're kind of ready for it. Do you think, I mean, we've had a lot of people on who are sex workers and in the porn industry, and obviously most of them like clean out their assholes mm-hmm. before because unless you're doing like a poop or scat play porn, people want to avoid that. Sure. Do you find that in maybe the people you treat or in the gay community, it's just more accepted? Because if you're bottoming multiple times a week, are you cleaning out most that people many times? Are. Yeah, really? and, and it's a complete misconception. It in just terms seems of, like such a big commitment. Totally. It's a huge commitment. And it causes a lot of injury and trauma. So when you look at HIV and STD rates, a lot of that is not associated actually from the bacterial issue or the viral issue. It's more of that there's these cuts internally that you don't feel. So the cleaning out causes more small micro tears. Exactly. And then that's where the transmission happens. So I think that it's unfortunately in our community and also the sex positive community Mm -hmm. um, that people feel the cleaner you are, the better. Mm. Right, and that that mentality is kind of how people are raised, and so and that it helps people relax if they're not worried that they're going to like shit exactly, all over Exactly, hundred percent. So the question is, can you achieve that by taking more fiber or doing? If let's say people are fisting, I say, look, you could either slow your shit down. Right? Wait, or, literally, what do you mean? Well, like, so, slow your like, poop emo- or yeah. slow your fisting experience, <laughs> no, I, um, More the poop. I'm a big fisting fan. Yeah. All right, cool. Well, so you can 
take more like emodium or things to kind of okay. slow your gut transit, Got it. Okay. so that you're not shitting. Right, okay. that's okay. number one. Or the other way around, that you clean yourself out by doing a, some laxative work or gentle kind of cleansers, where now it's kind of you know, and you're taking it orally, so that it's like a pill or some liquid that's kind of cleaning yourself out that way. I mean, I feel like if I was doing nothing in the week but like ass fucking, that would be fine. But how do you like balance your week it's, and yeah, other things? I, I don't know the right answer around to it. that because yeah, either you're maybe b- blocked up or backed up from the emodium, yeah. or you're. I think that it, the the general consensus is. Let's take fisting out of it because fisting is a completely different world. (laughs) That's that's a whole different world. I know you love it, but it's a whole different world. But I think I warmed up to it, whatever. But I think for the most part, where toys and cock are going, Uh it's actually quite clean. And I tell people, I had a a, uh, medical school teacher who I don't know if he was gay or not, but he was like, okay, our next assignment is we're going to put 10 guys in front of us and we're all going to fuck them in the ass. Wait, and ten of the medical students? Just he was just joking. He's, but he just was like, <laughs> we're like gonna this, we're gonna this like wouldn't stand now. Yes. People would be like, me too in totally, class. Absolutely. But he's like, he's like, we're gonna sit there, we're gonna stand up and we're all gonna fuck them. And I want you to see how many of them are actually dirty. Are you gonna you have mean, like, you feces? Are you gonna be- and he was, and he was. His point was nine out of ten guys okay. or girls, whatever, um, would be completely clean. Because the reality is the rectal vault is not where stool is stored. It's a good band name. So the rectal vault. The rectal vault. Oh, da, da, da. <laughs> is it a metal? <laughs> yeah, of course. <laughs> so, but it's really clean. So I tell people, prove it to yourself. Don't clean yourself out. Use a toy. See what you have there. Now, IBS people, people that have irritable bowel, irritable bowel or some GI issues, yeah, we have to figure out how we can work together to get it better. Mm-hmm. But if you're high fiber diet, shitting daily, things are coming out solid and ready to go. Realistically, there's not a lot of shit there, um, and and you can prove it to yourself. You know, use the plugs to say, oh, you know what? I don't need to clean myself five or six times. What winds up happening is is that. People clean too much. Mm-hmm. It causes that irritation like we were speaking about. But also the liquid that they're using goes higher in the colon and there's shit there. So every time they kind of go to the bathroom to let out the liquid, they see residual stool. So they think but oh, they there's... so they're like, oh, there's more, there's more, there's more. And then you could just keep going and going and going. But reality is that I don't know, I mean, unless you take really huge, huge things, even if it's twelve inches, it's really not it's going not that not going that far up. That far up. You know, and there's a lot of give in the rectum that that angle that's there. You, you never really need to appreciate. So I think I usually tell people less is more. Actually, mm-hmm. um, and how much? I mean, every body is different, but how much is too much? I think you know it really depends on how people are. They using um, like enema products? Are they using just bulbs with water, or are they using a shower hose? Mm-hmm. Um, but again, you know, I think most people, the average would be about two bottles, let's just say, of enema usage, or um, or like two bulb syringefuls where you're cleaning out with water. The mm-hmm. First one to go, second one, to, and then if possibly a third one. And um, how many times a week, though? Well, it depends on how many times they're engaging. What's well, so I'm saying? If is there like a too many? Yeah, I'm a huge proponent of actually not using any type of douching. And um, just sort of being like it's probably fine. Sometimes totally. shit happens. Yeah, put and down I, a towel. Or, or if you wanna if you wanna do it, then I would say less water, less force. Uh, most people feel like they have to kind of distend and put a lot in there mm-hmm. to get and the answer is think about it more as irrigation. What oh. goes in goes out, like a colonic. 
You know, okay. it's not really distending a lot, mm-hmm. and you shouldn't feel pain or you shouldn't feel discomfort. So just less is more. Um, and then, and then I think like you know, it's par for the course. A little shit here and there is not a big fucking deal. You know, I mean, it's not a big deal. How do we how do we destigma- how do we keep destigmatizing that? I don't know. Maybe do we have like shit days or something I don't like that? Know. <laughs> <laughs> like you can start. Uh, one. Yes, exactly. The Doctor Evan shit day. I'm gonna have to see I'm what make day. You a t-shirt. Yes, I have to see what day <laughs> that would potentially be. I think they're all taken, but maybe we can choose one day. Well, we have to start wrapping up soonish, but I don't want to give away the upcoming talks that you have and for people to hire you so they can get actual advice. But do you have a couple like go to? tips or bullet points for practitioners that they should really keep in mind um, to be as LGBT affirming as they can. I feel like we've talked mostly about like gay men today, but just in general. Yeah, I mean, I think one is you can't be a practitioner in this day and age and not understand the LGBTQIA community. And I think Um, that starts, in my opinion, first with having a conversation around the comfort that you have with sex because how can you talk and educate it about it when you're in a yeah. place that you feel so uncomfortable? Totally, totally, totally. And and I think that it's one, you have to kind of, as a practitioner, first take the risk assessment yourself, mm-hmm. right? And understand kind of what what I'm asking and also look at your own life and look at your own and look in the mirror and be like, okay, I've never thought of my sexuality or my sexual wellness as an important piece of a physical exam. Mm-hmm. How do I now look at my own self to figure out how I can take care of that community? Um, and and the answer is, I I'm a huge proponent of people seeing the same per, a person that identifies the same way. Mm-hmm. I feel like um, no matter what, the 65 year old straight guy that goes home to the suburbs is never going to understand the 22 year old kid that's on the party scene in West Hollywood. Mm-hmm. And he's not. And 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 it may be that, you know, and I think it's actually doing a little bit of a disservice mm-hmm. where to take care of that client um, and take him on as a new patient when you don't have everything at your disposal to give them the best quality care. Yeah. Um, and it's not to say that I, I don't, you know, some of my referrals are amazing heterosexual guys and girls that send me great clients mm-hmm. um, with issues. It's you you really have to make sure that who you're seeing. Um, understands the sensitivities, but also understands the right way to manage yeah. um, the sensitivities, and also to manage the issues that are coming about. Um, and again, you know, anal pap smears are, are kind of key in the gay world, right? Um, everyone should have one once a year. Is that for for HPV? For HPV, and also anal cancer prevention, and then also doing an anal pap smear, even if you don't necessarily think, because there's a little bit of a gray area with it, mm-hmm. even if you don't necessarily think that it's a hundred percent proven. Just by actually doing the anal pap smear, it creates a, a, a different respect for. So, kind of what is that co- testing for? It looks for HPV. Uh-huh. So it says, you know, are you HPV positive? Which kinds of HPV do you have? Uh-huh. But then it also looks at kind of people's cancer risk. Okay. Um, but it finds a lot of other things because it forces the practitioner to actually look at the asshole. And that should be something that people do if they are sexually active with totally, their butt. absolutely, of all uh, genders, of and all genders and orientations and everything. And absolutely. where can one do that? Because I've I've come into contact with whether it was at my OBGYN or whatever that like they don't do that, right. and it feels like you have to really get specific. And a lot of them are like, oh, you can't test for HPV in the throat right. or in the right. butt, which is so and not, it's not true. that accurate. Like, right. where do the fuck do we go? Right. So, I mean, I think that one, it's finding OB guides that understand the sexual component to this, mm-hmm. right? 
Um, also, you know, the centers are really great in most major metropolitan like areas. Correct. Mm-hmm. Um, they do a lot of the screening and testing. You can always come to me. I'm more than happy to uh, put a pap smear up your booty. Um, and then <laughs> we'll do it, that after. <laughs> <laughs> but it just gives a lot of information because mm-hmm. then it kind of talk. It, it really creates an environment where now you start to understand people's issues surrounding that. Um, and then you make people feel comfortable in that, to be like, oh, did that ever bother you? Or I looked inside, I didn't see any anal warts, but I saw this, this, and this, and this is probably the reason why you, you're having issues with bottoming. Um, and things, things like that. Um, and uh, you, you have to, we have to just continue to expose people over and over and over. Um, and the more that we expose, uh, the more that it becomes mainstream, the more that it's just like anybody else when someone comes in that you're able to just communicate you know, and get them what they want. Well, you are so amazing, and it mm, has been thanks. so wonderful having you. I feel so comfortable talking to you, so I hope that people got that as well and that they will want to go to you. But if people want to hire you for a talk or to come see you as a client or just to you know ask you questions and you know get that how can they find you or contact yeah, your sure. team sure so bespokesurgical.com is probably the best um, they can kind of click on there and register. We'll and put it in of, our show notes. So that's cool. Um, we do a lot of social work. So uh, you yes, know, I love following your Instagram. So there the, are so many cute booties so, on there. So there's some cute booties. Um, so on Instagram, we do like Monday myths, where we kind of go over a lot of different uh, myths that people think. And then on Thursday, we do a lot of tips. Um, and so I think through Instagram, through our Facebook, and then especially through um, a lot of the popular press pieces that we write and, and I blog. You know, uh, every other every week or so. Um, so on medium.com, if you search through Dr. Evan Goldstein. So yeah, just, Dr. Evan actually blogged for my parents' company. Yes, so full absolutely, circle. Absolutely. Um, but uh, we do Tales from the Tale, which is every um, two weeks, okay. which kind of just goes over <laughs> people's uh, different scenarios that come into my office. Sometimes I ask, you know, the social world, what would they do mm-hmm. in the situation? Um, and there's no right answer to any of it. It's and it's kind of non-judgmental, non-biased, but just giving people, uh, you know, the tips and tools to kind of engage tips. sexually, exactly, whichever whatever <laughs> tips they want. Well, thank you so Stick much. It, it was amazing having you. Um, if you're listening and want to hear more episodes from Sluts and Scholars, you can obviously find us on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, wherever you get your podcasts, and you can follow us on Instagram at Sluts and Scholars and on Twitter at Slut Scholars. And as always, we love to hear your questions and wonderings at slutsandscholars at gmail.com. Thanks for coming. Thank you so much. Thank you.